Blog Talk Radio. Frightfuler Roundtable 2.0, a podcast where we talk about all things horror. I'm your host, Jonathan Moody, an actor, writer, director, and horror fanatic. <laughs> and I'm Megan Deanna Smith, an actress and comedian and all-around cool chick. Tonight we have Scott Pepperman, a man involved in basically all aspects of the film industry. Uh, I understand that he can act direct, produce, fact, it seems that there's not much that you don't do, Scott. Um, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself? Oh, well, how you doing, guys? Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, no, like, uh, basically, I tell everyone this, but um, I'm a horror guy. I've been a horror guy forever. I grew up in the uh, the heyday of the slasher, you know, the early 80s. And um, I'm actually a 70s baby, but I grew up in, you know, when I was coming of age, all the good stuff was, you know, 82, 83, 84, 85, right around there. And um, somehow, you know, I, I uh, got on Ghost Hunters uh, International um, because I basically didn't even know about this kind of stuff. But when I heard that people going around looking for ghosts, I'm like, well, I like horror stuff. This could be kind of cool. Um, so, you know, I, I got interested in a little, a little bit, did it for a few years. They had a casting call, and my, my partner at the time uh, suggested that we applied that had a casting call for Ghost Hunters International. And I was like, oh, I'm not really interested in that, but, you know, whatever. And he went ahead and submitted all our stuff, and uh, they started liking us, started contacting both of us. And then they did more and more interviews, and they kept doing, you know, going further and further along, and they they kept contacting me. and. Uh, before long, I was actually on the show. And what was cool with that was, I mean, I liked it, but I was always into, like I said, horror. And I really loved B, the B-movie, um, underground B-movie films, because um, I think that they're a passion project. You know, they're a labor of love. It, there's no huge money behind a lot of these things. It's mostly like uh, people doing what they can do to get it done. Um, Jonathan, you know how that is, too. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So it's like... When when I made a little bit of a name for myself with Ghost Hunters, I basically started contacting on Facebook a lot of these independent film companies and basically said, hey, I, you know, I took some acting and filmmaking classes in college. Um, if you guys are interested in some kind of a name, I mean, I had a little bit of a name at that point because of Ghost Hunters. I said, uh, give me a chance to, you know, show, show what you I can do. I'll, I'll perform in your movies for free. Just, you know, give me a chance. And um, a couple of them took a chance on me. And uh, as you guys know, it, the independent film uh, industry is a pretty small circle. And um, word spread that uh, he's easy to work with. He's a nice guy. He's not exactly a ter- terrible actor. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was lucky to start securing some roles early on. And I used that Ghost Hunters link to get into stuff. Um, and then, you know, 
after a while, I got a manager and uh, met Jim O'Rear, who had the same manager at the time, who's a veteran film actor of over 30 years, been in everything, he knows everybody. And uh, we worked on several productions together. And uh, about three and a half years ago, we formed our own company, Los Bastards Productions. And um, he's pretty much my best bud also. So, you know, it works really well that we, we get along and we we think the same way in terms of filmmaking. And uh, we haven't looked back since. We've got a lot of different things going on. And, uh, you know, we, we have a good following. And uh, it's, I've been pretty lucky to bridge the gap for myself between paranormal and horror and, and be uh, welcomed by both audiences. It's pretty cool to see that, to experience that. And, uh, you know, I enjoy it. That's amazing. And and I think what is helpful is that sci-fi, like you said, is like what you did with paranormal, quote unquote, but because sci-fi encompasses so much of the horror community as well, um, right. a lot of their content, that like crossover totally makes sense. And I'm so glad that that worked out for well, you. Yeah, well, it, I think it, it makes sense a lot too because, um, and I'm not, you know, I'm still friends with a lot of people that were that were on my show and everything, but a couple of them have told me this. One one of them told me this in one of the last events I did that um, I was smart enough to think of the next step. Everyone else is trying to cruise on ghost hunters, and you know, I want ghost hunters to be a footnote in my resume. I don't want it to define my career. Um, I don't want to be the guy that's doing convention, uh, you know, Comic Con. 30 years down the line and there's a picture of me when I'm 30. No, I mm-hmm. want to keep fresh and keep doing different stuff. I think how I connect with the horror um, genre is the fact that um, I'm truly a fan of horror, like a diehard fan of horror and I've always been. And people, especially horror audience, is not a, it's a, you know, they're not stupid. And they see right through people trying to capitalize on stuff or jump on coattails or ride the next popular thing i know horror i've always known horror i eat breathe dream sleep horror and um and i think that comes across you know if i didn't know what i was talking about it wouldn't people would be like yeah yeah okay but this guy he's like hey this guy knows what he's talking about he knows what he's doing so um yeah I'm a little scared that all you ever do is horror and you dream about it, but we'll move on from that. (laughs) The voices, the voices. (laughs) Well, I do, I want to ask you, uh, Scott, you mentioned that you're, you know, really big into um, the eighties and I I kind of feel bad because I kind of grew up in the nineties. Like I was born in 82. So I Mm -hmm. was, you know, I'm kind of a product of the nineties and really in the nineties, all the horror was like in the early nineties, all the horror was, almost dead at that particular time. Like there really wasn't Mm -hmm. anything good. There was like vampires in Brooklyn was like, was one of Wes Craven's, (laughs) you know, movies or something, you know, I mean, it was, it was a bad part. part. Scream kind of revitalized or brought, you know, I know a lot of people, some people hate on Scream, but it kind of brought horror back into it. And if it weren't for Scream, we probably wouldn't have gotten a lot of these horrors that horror films that were going now because, like almost right. at that point, horror was was gone, you know, and right. everything. Um, but what's your uh, what's your take? Because you you collect a lot of like uh, old school VHS movies and stuff. Like, what are some of your favorite films that like maybe people hadn't heard of yet? I, I like a lot of films that people probably like, but you know, my, my favorite film of all time is Near Dark. It's just absolute perfect movie, um, and. 
It's, I always tell everyone when they mention the Lost Boys, I'm like, oh yeah, the second best horror, the second best vampire movie in 1987, <laughs> um, <laughs> because Near Dark is just just fantastic, and you know it suffered from a bad, you know they were with a company that was going bankrupt at the time, so it was poorly marketed, and Lost Boys had just been out a short time before, and people were still all high on that Lost Boys kick, and this movie kind of blew under the radar, it didn't do very well, and it went to video and for years it hadn't been released on any other format it was released one time um so it kind of fell through the cracks it finally started getting a little recognition and, and people love the film but still so many people haven't seen it which is insane um it's, and you know the diehard also, horror addicts have seen it but other than that isn't Catherine bigelow the director of that right yeah exactly which is nuts because she's an Oscar winner. So for people to not have yeah. <laughs> heard of that is always crazy to me. Well, they, what's sad is that was pretty much her first feature ever. And she did some other crap early on just to be able to get funding and basically be handed the reins to a, a movie to direct, you know, a, a big boy movie. Um, but people still, you know, after her directing, like what she do, like Hurt Locker and all that stuff, they, they look at her as this accomplished act, uh, actress, accomplished um, director. And much like many other directors, like with um, John Landis, who kind of started out with like schlock and all that, and people just dismissed that. Oh, that was his first film. He was trying. He was. It was an early film, and you can see, you know, whatever. People are it's still they're dismissing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but they're dis, they're dismissing Near Dark as like this. Oh, that was just her first film, and it was good, and it showed hints of brilliance. But she was learning, and this and. No, people are really starting to finally, it's finally starting to get respect maybe over the past five or six years or so. But um, no, it's it's probably still her best movie, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so it's crazy. But th- there's a lot of, like, um, I, I like the um, the rock horror subgenre, you know, like um, Hard Rock Zombies and Rock and Roll Nightmare or Shock em Dead and uh, Terror on Torture Retreat, stuff like that. Uh, Hack a Lantern. There's, you know, there's a lot of movies out there that, um, that I really like that haven't seen other releases or, or maybe just recent ones, but they haven't seen the light of day since like their initial release back in the eighties. Um, it's just a lot of films like that. I just like the VHS art because, um, they're, uh, you know, there was no way to sell a movie. The way that you would sell a movie was sole solely on the artwork. And, and no matter how ridiculous or outlandish the, the art seemed, that would sell, that would serve as the sole marketing uh, for that particular film in a video store. And what was cool, and I think uh, Charles Band spoke about this before, you know, Puppet Master, Transfer's Guy and all that. He, um, the cool thing with, with home video and direct to home video um, is the fact that you could have movies that were made for you know, $30 million and a movie that were made on a tiny little budget, um, given equal playing field in a, in a local video store, they were right next to each other on the shelves. So it was a, a battle to get the buck of the audience by basically the coolest artwork. You know, and sometimes that's when they resorted to big boxes because it took more real estate on the shelf. It was more of an eye-catching thing. Um, I just don't like the artwork for DVDs. I don't like the artwork for Blu-ray. I think most of them are lazy cut and paste uh deals crappy photoshop and it's really sad what they do with these movies i mean you look at some of these covers are so minimalistic they're so uncreative and they're they're banking on the fact that oh this film 
already has a built-in audience, they'll buy the movie. Yeah, but the artwork is shitty. Excuse me, I don't know. Say, well, it's a good word now. That's oh, yeah, not you a, can. Not you one can. of the bad words anymore. But you know what I'm saying, and, it, and it's annoying to see that. And I don't like when they have movies where people, like I'll give you guys a quick example, um, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Clooney was pretty much the star of it. They barely mentioned, I don't even think they mentioned him on the video box because at that time, it was nobody. You know, it, it was just Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Now, if you get anything with that, it's like starring ERs, George Clooney. And it takes <laughs> away from a lot of the charm and then, you know, the the innocence from it. And um, that those days are gone. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but that, that's what we're dealing with today. So, yeah, I collect VHS. And most of the stuff that I collect, I mean, I think I would say a good 60 to 65% of things on VHS have still not made it off that format. Um, and they get lost. And, and a lot of these things are not going to because all physical media is going away. DVD and Blu-ray, and they're never going to be, they're not going to attain the same kind of notoriety as VHS because that kind of, VHS and beta pretty much spearheaded the whole video, home video boom. Um, and, and VHS was around almost 40 years. You know, DVD, what, 10 years and it's faded already. Blu-ray, what is it, only around not even 10 years and already they're starting to phase them out, you know. Everything's streaming. Mm-hmm. And with streaming, they have limited um, titles. And a lot of the, the companies, it, it costs a lot of money because when a lot of these films were originally made and they had music to them or they had whatever, nobody thought about return. They thought it would be a one-off. Oh, we're going to throw it, show it in a the theater. We're going to do this and that. Now people are like, what? Home video? You can make money? You make a lot of money at home. I want residuals. I want whatever. I want a bigger cut. So a lot of these films are finding themselves, you know, very, very hard to relicense to clear music or clear other rights or clear... You know, a lot of these companies that were so uh, small when they started in the 80s, they, they're gone and they folded. And a lot of these rights have just died with the company. So they're hard to find, they're expensive to find, and people have a short attention span nowadays. So streaming is not going to pay for a lot of these films because it costs so much. And the older a film gets in a lot of people's eyes nowadays, the less valuable the film is in terms of return and everything else. And that's where we're losing a lot of these titles along the way. And it's horrible. So they, they can, you know, Netflix can go bye-bye tomorrow with everyone's saved movies or everyone's this and that. And I got all my stuff right here. Scott, because that is what the world is becoming, right? Streaming. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. How are you, even though, like also as an actor, I don't love streaming because like you said, residuals are, amazing and streaming yeah. oftentimes buyouts and it's like you know i don't know it's just crazy but how are you like changing and going with the the way that the culture is moving with some of like you've got all these projects that are upcoming are you right. have you <laughs> done them with the thought of streaming in mind or not like what, yeah. what's your process for that? No, I think um, I think streaming is actually really cool. I think it's it's um, and and I've been trying to actually. I, I sound like the old school guy here, but you know I've been trying to get my wife to convert and actually jump on board and uh, put the cable cord, you know, <laughs> uh, for years. And she's like, no, 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 I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Well, we did that fairly <laughs> recently, and and we you know we subscribe to like Hulu and Netflix and whatever, and we pretty much have what we watch anyway because we don't usually watch local TV. We watch like um. 
the higher up channels like A and E or AMC or TLC or all that crap. Um, so and, and that's all on streaming, which is fine. Streaming it makes things very um, um, easy to access, which is cool. I like all that stuff. Um, but yeah. like I said, I'm I'm just the thing why I like the old stuff is for what we brought up before. So that's why I hold on to this stuff, and I, I do prefer this. However, um, there's a lot of things to to uh, worry about with streaming. Is is the fact that yeah, all physical media is going away. So what we're trying to do, and my partner and I have been doing this for several years. He's been talking about this since uh, since I first met him, which is you know, six seven years ago already. But um, about something like this, and everyone kind of laughed him off. And now this is like the the new norm. The streaming and everything is. You know, you go into store and the DVD and the Blu-ray sections are getting smaller and smaller and smaller or pushed to the back to the store. It's insane. Um, but, you know, when you stream a film, you pretty much get the film. You just stream the film. So a lot of people are still out there and they're completionists. They're, they're collectors. They're whatever. And we try to um, make our product more appealing by awesome artwork, always. We always try to do that. And we always try to offer some bonus content. You know, you good special features, not just a trailer, but like a an in-depth behind the scenes or some bloopers or some whatever. Just if you're interested in a movie and you want to buy it, whatever, you want to stream it, you want to get this and that, you buy the physical DVD, you physically always have that, and you have all these this added value to a disc. You know, it's called bonus content, but it's pretty much referred to as added value because that's what it is. And, and some people, it doesn't matter. Some people, it does. But I think by operating we're very mindful of our budgets and we operate at a very low budget because we know there's not a huge investment uh there's not a huge return in our investment because that's just the nature of indie film and it's not getting any better um so we don't want to shell out a ton of money we don't want to get a crazy amount of money we want to operate on a certain level and as things get more and more and more expensive we're still operating on that level but we're getting creative and I, I think my partner and I are, are lucky with the fact that we get very creative. You know, if, if if we if we did a movie four years ago for a certain amount of money, inflation is insane, especially in the industry with the new cameras and the new equipment and the, everything. We're still operating with that same frame of mind. Okay, how are we going to do to maintain this budget? Are we going to cut back on this? Are we going to try to truncate this? Are we going to work on this? Are we going to flesh this out? Are we going to call in a few favors? Uh, and it's creative. But again, that's more rewarding because it's such a, a a labor of love for stuff. You you, you know you watch the film, you're like, we made this budget, we made this movie on on this kind of budget, and this kind of budget, and our films don't look like they're made on. If that makes sense. Um, so we're always okay. hesitant to to say what we what we what we fund a movie for because uh, it looks a lot more than we than we actually use for. I think it's well, just being a smart can... filmmaker and a smart bi- business person, you know. Totally right, because it's not just like can you act. It's can you can you market, can you direct. Well, yeah, you have to do everything right. when you're doing projects. Um, we right. had Jason Horton on last week, and I was talking mm-hmm. to him about how I love the fact that Amazon Prime is has all these indie horror films that you can watch for free because people right. are more likely to take a chance on an indie horror film that they've never seen that's free versus having to pay money. So in that right. regard, it's been incredible for the horror genre. Um, well, it's also what what by 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 Hollywood getting so um, nervous and so um, unwilling to take risks. I mean, I think 
you know, Hollywood has created their their own their own existence, you know, and they've kind of sheltered themselves, and it's not good. They don't see outside the box. Okay, I see all these filmmakers, independent, and I, I, I'm astounded by what people do. The, the problem that I have with, with most independent films is that everyone has a cell phone now, and, and you can film a whole movie on an iPhone, or you can film a whole movie on whatever. That doesn't make you a filmmaker. There's so many people with projects in different stages of production where they film the whole thing and they're like, great, now what the hell do I do? They don't see it through to completion, and that's more often the case than not, is that a film doesn't get done. And, you know, I I just directed a film with Tim Ritter, um, Truth or Dare 5. I don't direct with anyone or work really with anyone other than my partner, but this pro, this film has been in production for so long that by the when we first started it, I wasn't partnered with Jim. I worked with Jim before, but we weren't partners. So I was working with Tim Ritter on this. This film, we tried to raise, I think we wanted to raise $15,000 or something. We ended up raising barely $4,000, okay? And it took us almost five years to get this film done, but we didn't scrap it. It's out all over the place now. And oddly, within, I don't know if you you know, I know Jonathan knows. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know your your complete knowledge of the horror genre, so I apologize. But um, <laughs> the truth of there, oh, the truth of there. Well, no, say I didn't know. You know, but, but the truth of there series, it's 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 a big. You know, it's a popular series from the '80s, whatever. And um, it's been around forever. It's got a good fan base, and we managed to get Truth of Dare Five out there finally. And it's pretty much everyone is saying it's the best film in the series since the original. What does that make us feel like? That's awesome. And we tried and we just, we saw through to the beginning. But um, <clears throat> the problem with Hollywood films is that, and I, I like a lot of Hollywood films, but they don't want to take any risks. So, and I'm, I'm a remake and a sequel guy. I actually like those a lot. But keep tired of the same thing or they get tired of things that keep being remade and keep being whatever because they don't want to take risks because they find something that has made money before. They just want to keep, riding that money train. Indie films are always trying to push the envelope and look for different stuff. And, and I mean, you know, when, when first people, when you talk to somebody and they say they prefer indie film, I'm an indie filmmaker and I prefer indie film. It sounds like a cop-out, like, well, you're operating on that level. You're never going to get to Hollywood level. So, yeah, of course you're going to like that. No, I really do like that for the reasons that I'm discussing now. I think that the creativity is there. I think the camaraderie between people is there. I see the the creativity that people um, try to do when they don't have any budget or when they're operating with very minimal money in their pockets. And it's incredible. Um, and I think that people are more inclined, like you were saying, to watch these indie films because they they see the same old stuff with Hollywood. Hollywood just doesn't want to take chances, unfortunately. Uh, Megan? Yes, I agree. Okay. Okay. I was just like, yes, there's nothing I can add. He worked it all perfectly. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, I, I want to I wanna talk, uh, Scott. I'm actually wearing uh, the hospital shirt uh, while oh, I'm nice. talking to you guys um, that I got. Uh, I got right before, I think it was Deb WinterCon that I met you at nice. uh, personally. Um, and then I got a, I got a free DVD for uh, being – uh, I guess the only non uh, was a cast member that was wearing the shirt. Everybody else was <laughs> nice. part of the cast or crew that was wearing the shirt. 
So, uh, cool. yeah, so that was awesome. But um, I just want to say, like, I mean, if you guys haven't seen the hospital, uh, word of the wise, it is very brutal. It is not a, you know, a, you know, cookie cutter, you know, it's, it's nothing like Scream or something. It is very, uh, it is very messed up. Um, but in, you know, it's still a great movie. It's just, uh, it's just one of those things that, um, and I have not seen the hospital too yet. Is that still on prime? I gotta see that. That I don't know if it is. I know it's always available though. And, um, she was a lot better. And, and myself, I had a, a big, a much bigger, um, uh, presence behind the scenes as well. I was, um, pretty much Jim's, Jim's right hand man with Dan, with Daniel as well. Um, that was his former partner. And, um, and I was in hospital too as well. But, um, but yeah, and I was one of the producers on that one. But yeah, it's actually Jim likes Hospital Two better. Um, Hospital Two is a better film, but I like Hospital myself Part One better because it's darker and more um, visceral and more claustrophobic, and I kind of like that feel. But Two is a much better film and more more enjoyable to watch. It really is, if you want to use that word, <laughs> that kind of movie. It, it's more <laughs> enjoyable. Though. Can you, um, Scott? Could you talk about? Some of the so like when you look you up on IMDb, <laughs> right? I feel like I should pull it up right now. But there's like several projects that are like filming or post production or pre production. Can you talk about some of these upcoming projects? Are you shooting something now? Like what's going on with you? Yeah, I was actually um, this evening. Uh, Jim and I like to work with people that uh, I, I, I like to feel feel like we're the Quentin Tarantino's of independent horror film because we try <laughs> to bring out these actors that look like they haven't been working for years. You know, Quentin Tarantino brought out John Travolta out of nowhere, and he brings out Don Johnson. He brings out all these people. And, um, you know, with indie film, Jim and I, our first real collaboration together, well, not first one, but the first one under Los Bastards title was Nightblade, which Jonathan was talking about earlier. And Nightblade came out, we we did it just about two years ago, and it, it, we uh, were looking for distribution. We had a few offers, but... Um, we decided to take a chance on this new upstart company because the guy himself, it's a pain in the ass to get films distributed. It's you, it's always one hurdle after another, no matter what level you're operating on, it's a pain in the ass. So this guy had an upstart. He was just starting out and he's like, Hey, I'm an independent filmmaker myself. I understand the problems and the, the, the obstacles that everyone's going to hit. I'm trying to eliminate that and streamline it because you know, that's how I am myself. And we all thought that was cool. Jim and I were like, hey, let's take a chance on this guy. Jim worked with him before. So, you know, on a project, he worked on one of his projects. I'm like, okay, so we'll give that a shot. It was a one-man operation. The guy was also, he wasn't well. He was sick. And he passed away. So, and a lot of people jumped on to join his company because uh, they liked what he was preparing to offer on the, on the surface. So the guy got bombarded with projects. And I think he just got way too much to handle too quick, and he was sick. So when he passed away, the film was still in limbo. Uh, we own the film. We'll never, ever sell our rights to the film for more than uh, – well, we always own ownership, but sometimes we you know, own the – we have to sell the licensing rights so they can distribute it. So uh, we got the film back, but um, it just sat around for a little bit. And it was on Amazon Prime. It was streaming on there, and uh, – we couldn't get it off there because uh, we don't know where, you know, who put it on. 
and we found out that he was the one to put it on, we would contact Amazon Prime, and they're like, he's got to be the one to contact us directly. We're like, well, he's kind of deceased. You know, we we can't, <laughs> oh, we can't do anything about it. We can't do anything. Then we had a good well, offer for, with, for, with Nightblade with the ITN distribution, which I think was um, actually put out by Sony Pictures, uh, this new release that just came out in stores on Tuesday. Um, but their problem was they said, we, we want to get it into, like physically into stores. It's cool to get it on websites for Walmart and Target and all that, but to physically get it in stores is insane because that real estate is so valuable because those shelf spaces are getting smaller and smaller. And to actually have your project on there, you're competing with, you know, millions of people, millions of titles. So they said, we can guarantee that it's on the shelves. We can guarantee this and that. We can guarantee all this stuff. But when we want to get into Redbox, and they will guarantee Redbox, but it's streaming right now on Amazon Prime. They said, if you can't get this off Amazon Prime, we're not going to be able to, to do all that. We'd lose the business, basically. We'd lose that offer. So I hustled, did whatever I could do, and to make a long story longer i know it's pretty long but um <laughs> i ended up finding out somebody that was actually licensed to put that on as a streaming because it was like a different company and the guy took it off immediately and he was really cool and we got the deal with uh in motion and this past tuesday it just came out now the cool thing was that it, it kind of sat around for two years but it never really got any exposure so it's not like a re-release it's pretty much a brand new release nobody saw it unless they would see Jim and I at conventions and buy a convention copy or whatever, or be one of the few to actually pick it up when it was in brief, brief, brief circulation on one website. So uh, it's like a brand new release for us, which is awesome. The timing for that is great because Jim and I are working on a new film called Devil Music, and it's a, a rock horror comedy uh, in the vein of like um, – uh, slaughterhouse rock or you know trick or treat or something, and the, when once we start making some more progress on this, people are going to be liking who thinking who is who is this? Uh, you know, if they see Nightblade in the stores, they're going to check it out and they're going to be like, what else are these guys doing? And they'll look us up and then they'll see Devil Music and that'll hopefully those two films will help each other along. So the timing is great and. uh I was actually doing work tonight for the film, speaking to uh, agents of potential big names that we may have in this that, again, we had Todd Bridges from Different Strokes and Nightblade, and uh, we have a couple of people of interest, uh, of equal interest uh, in the works for Devil Music. So, fingers crossed this should all go down soon, and there'll be a lot more moving on this film very, very soon, like very soon. Congratulations. Thank you. I love Todd Bridges in it, and uh, but it's just so funny. Every time I see him now in something, I just think of yeah. that's my boy. Um, I know that came out like a, <laughs> before you guys worked yeah. on that, but it's just it's yeah. just every time I think of him, I think of him working behind me. So it's like yeah. you know at a at a blizzard, uh, uh, he was working at like a McDonald's type place or something, you know, or whatever. Well, so he like, was. So he was great. He well, no, he when we um when we got him on board, we had him on set for a couple couple of days, and um he showed up, and I think he was expect the main acting jobs that he's had. He's been you know he's been doing he's got a show in Vegas and all that, which is cool. He's settled in. He's happy with stuff, but um 
usually when he had been doing films, at least for the past 10 years or so, he'd been pretty much doing cameos or playing himself or something else like that. I think he was thinking we were going to want that. We sent him a script and everything, and I, I just think he thought that's what it was. Because when he gets there, he had a shit ton of dialogue, and he's like, oh, you guys mean business. <laughs> you guys really are using me. I'm like, oh, yes. Yes, we are. So, uh, but he, he's a... He, yeah, he was a really nice guy. He had problems with some of the lines. Some of it was, and he asked, he's like, can we change some of this? And we, I think Jim and I are confident uh, in our own project. I think what makes us good, I think we're good directors, but what makes us good filmmakers is the fact that we have confidence in our actors and we have confidence in our material. And, you know, we, we always tell some people you have to follow it to the line of what people write or they get flipped out. No, that's my word. Those, how dare you change my words? With us, as long as you hit the beats that we need for the plot to advance the plot along, make it your own. Because we think that by doing that, we get out a more believable performance from somebody because they're they're making it their own. They're they're performing. You know, I wouldn't say this. Well, our character would say this, but Todd Bridges is playing this character. Todd Bridges wouldn't say that. Todd Bridges would say this. Okay, yeah, that works. Go ahead and use it. So cool with him on the set to to work with him. I mean, he's a consummate professional. He grew up doing that. And yes, he hasn't been overly active doing things over the past years to that caliber. But um, to see him there and offering his opinions and everything else, it's just, I think everybody was, the energy was really good. And I think everybody was feeding off each other. And uh, I was very happy to have him on board. I wrote a project that we never, uh, we decided not to film. So we never got done, but I wrote, and this was years ago. And it was for Top Ridges. And, and I wanted him big time. So when we finally started casting for Nightblade, I said, Jim, I finally want Top Ridges. And he's like, well, good luck with that. You know, see what you can do. Huh. And it took maybe a year of going back and forth with them. And they couldn't have been any nicer. They were professional, the management, professional, nice, friendly. But, you know, they were business. And, I mean, I must have sent 200 emails between back and forth with us and a phone call and a conference call and all this stuff. And yeah, they were great though. But you know, we're, we're, I'm in a process of doing that right now with somebody else and hopefully it comes through and uh, it's looking pretty good. Like it's actually looking very good. So fingers crossed, but you never know until they show up on the set. So, <laughs> we'll right. I think it's also uh, well, touched on the fact that, you know, it should be a collaboration. I think that people forget. It that always should. Yeah. You know, it takes a village to make art, and sometimes yep. certain writers get caught up with that. So it's it's always refreshing when someone realizes, well, even though I had written it this way, like you had said, this is a different person who's speaking those words, and I can't hear that in right. their voice. Um, exactly. And, 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 and what, what – no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and that's when things become real. As a viewer, you can – like, it feels more real. It, it really is like that, and and – you know, our thing, too, is that um, we don't – we pride ourselves on the fact that we try to do anything different than most indie filmmakers would do. I mean, you usually associate indie filmmaking with um, – uh, you, you do. I'm not saying it's right, but you, you, you first of all, you, you think that it's not going to get done, or it's going to get done, it's not going to get distribution, or it's going to get distribution, but – it's going to be a pain in the ass on a set. Everything's going to be disorganized or it's going to be underfunded or people aren't going to know what they're doing. We were on our shit for Nightblade 
and we are on our shift for every project, and we're proud of that because we know people are showing up. We get the big names. They show up, and they're like, well, damn, you guys are on it. You guys are doing whatever. You guys, you know, when we didn't play, we finished up um, a day and a half early. When does that happen? You know, what? <laughs> um, and and everybody was happy, and we shot and we shot and we shot Nightblade in eight days. So, I mean, that's what we're planning with Devil Music. We have a week allotted for Devil Music, so we'll see. But but we're proud of that because you know it it just fits facilitates everything uh, much smoother than just you know sitting there and and you have to have everything planned out. You have to have everything planned out for. Um, a contingency, just in case something goes wrong. Anything. Okay, we're going to start at 9 o'clock. Okay, well, what happens if someone falls down and breaks their leg? Okay, well, then we're going to... Like, we have a plan out for every little thing. You need that. And and we, thank God, didn't even need any... Everything couldn't have gone smoother for Nightblade, but that was rare. I mean, I'm sure, sure the devil music's going to have a few kinks, but um, it still should run very well because we're very prepared for it. I mean, we've been working on this for a long time, and uh, we're ready. So your advice, I feel like it's great advice, but your advice to people who are making films and want to start production companies is there's no such thing as being overprepared, right? <laughs> like, no, not, more... not at all. And, and exactly. And, and, you know, when I hear a lot of people, and this sounds got a little heat from some people with this, but a lot of people agree with me and my, my partner agrees with me on this as well. But um, people keep saying, uh, are, are short films worth the effort? Are they this and that? And it's not snobby to say this or, or whatever, but I think short films are a waste of time. And and the reason why is that if you do a short film, if you prepare for a short film the way that you should, then you should be preparing for a feature film. It, you, you should mm-hmm. have everything plotted out the same way. You should have it all budgeted. You should have it every... If you plan out a short film the way it should be planned out, you might as well go just plan a feature. I mean, you know, that that's what it is. Um, and then you can do a feature for not a hell of a lot of money if you are smart with it and you do it right. So these people that put out short films, unless you are lucky enough, and it's tough to do this, but unless you're lucky enough to get grouped into some kind of anthology with other short films and, and market it as a full feature-length film, your short film is, where is it going to go? It's going to go to um, some festivals, and it may get you couple of awards or this and that, but that's not getting, that's not advancing you any further. That's patting you on the back for doing a good job. You should be confident in yourself to be able to move on. Now, you can do an experimental film or student films. Those are different, but doing short films or doing fan films, which would be fun because, you know, I love Friday the 13th. I'm not going to be in a Friday the 13th movie. People make these awesome films that look like it's another installment in the series, but a waste of time because by law you cannot make that so you cannot sell it anywhere <laughs> unless you're at a convention and if you put money into that you might as well put money into an original production that you can actually get some return on i mean you know that's when i tell people this they look at us like you guys are whatever no we're, we're making sense with that <laughs> mm-hmm. well scott we've got um we've got about five minutes left so i kind of want to that like give you an opportunity to say what, where should people follow you? What should we expect from you next? Like what can we all do to support you and your incredible work and make sure that people like you who are actually passionate about what they do are making films, not just 
people who are in it to make money, you know? Right. And, and, and this, you know, even some of the big hard directors, like I think Carpenter and everyone else will say that there's always going to be an excuse. Just forget excuses. Just do it. If you want to do a film big enough or, t- or, you know, enough or passionate enough, you'll get it done. You'll find a way to get it done. Cause there's always going to be an obstacle. Find, you know, get past the obstacle and, and get it going. Jonathan, I know we're going to work on a film too. Jim and I want to get that going too. So whenever you're ready, man, we, give we us got, a call. We got two projects, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but give us give us a call whenever. That that's cool. But no, what oh, I would say is, um, yeah, cool. But no, just support indie uh, filmmakers whenever you can. It's it's really true. Uh, you can follow Jim and I on uh, Los Bastards on Facebook. It's with a Z, Los Bastards. Um, you can follow me on Facebook and just look for Scott. Peppermint or Scott G.H.I. I think is where it comes up. Jim O'Rear, look him up. And uh, Devil Music is, we're going to have a lot of news over it, uh, about it over the next month, I'd say. So, yeah, stay tuned. Stay watching indie indie films. Stay, you know, just support horror in general. But uh, if you want to get a film done, get it done. <laughs> There's no excuse, right. Want to film, make a film. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. Get it done. All the big guys will tell you, we never had this and that, so we tried this, and either it was it failed miserably, but it was maybe like a beautiful disaster, <laughs> or it really, really worked. So try it. Get something. There's no excuse to not make a damn movie. You know, you, you wait and wait and wait, and years are going by. I mean, somehow I've been lucky to, to be in like, I think, 15 films already. I've pretty much, you know, had my hand in really making five or six already, and it hasn't been that long. Get it done. You want to get it done, get it done. Also, too, when you're saying get it done, like, look at movies that, like, Evil Dead and Blair Witch Project, like, movies that yeah. just overcame that and, like, did it, and then they're, they're icons now. Like, those are, like, classics. Exactly. So, get it done. Read, well, um, exactly. read, Bruce, uh, read Bruce Campbell's book, uh, If Chins Could Kill, because that really, like, he actually outlines how to do stuff, uh, investors and stuff, how to get investors, how to overcome that stuff. I mean, that book has been very vital to me. Like when I started my own LLC. Well, it's true. And let's say, I'll I'll try to get this in, but the the very last thing though, I could say though, is take a look around you. If you want to get a film done, a lot of people have all the pieces right in front of them and they don't realize it. Just pull them together. You have this here, you have this here. Someone you know owns this. Someone else you know has maybe a couple hundred dollars laying around or someone may have a cam. Pull that shit together and make a movie. I also have If Chins Could Kill Confessions of a B-Movie Actor on my my library. Exactly. We'll have to talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Um, Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I feel like you could talk about everything for forever, so we need to have you. Back Unfortunately, on. <laughs> I, I do. I'll yap and yap and yap, but I thank you guys so much. I want to get Jim O'Rear on at some point with you. Yes, you know, have exactly. you both yes. on. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much, Scott. Yeah, yeah cool guys. Thank Thanks you. a lot. Thanks to everyone for listening as well to Frights of the Roundtable 2.0. We're really excited to start this journey with you. Uh, if you loved us and can't get enough horror, uh, be sure to check us out on social media at Frights R&D Table on Twitter and Frights the Round Table on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, 
And you can also check myself out on Twitter at, at uh, thick uh, underscore fl uh, flick underscore fraud or at Jonathan Moody on um, uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, thick flick productions LLC or Jonathan A. Moody film. Uh, take it away, uh, Megan. <laughs> you can also follow my crazy antics if you want on Instagram and Twitter at M E G D E E Smith, Meg D Smith. Or you can check out my YouTube channel, We Find Us Funny. And thanks again, everyone. This was a great show, and we'll see you next week. See you guys next week. Bye. Thanks, Scott.